This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. We're back with you. This is just the start of the show, so no breaks yet, and no conversations have even gotten started. But we are back from yesterday's episode. Those are the first two editions, at least, of Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amadin. Kelly McDonald is also here. Kels, it's that time of the year when we want to discuss cookies. Because, of course, uh, cookie Isn't that any offs. time of the year? Well, yeah, but, you know, holiday cookies and such, I feel like it's a special cookie discussion. So do you have a favorite okay. type of cookie this time of year or a favorite person who makes a favorite kind of cookie for you this time of year that you look forward to having? Well, my mother was always the one to make the favorite kinds of cookies. And mm. if we're holding it down to this time of the year, it has to be her sugar cookies that I miss very much. My oh, sister yeah. will sometimes make them. She'd make them in the forms of Christmas trees, reefs. And uh, then there was someone that I don't know what the heck it really was shaped like, looked like a stocking to me. But <laughs> Yeah, I think but, that's normal. There was nothing in it except cookie on the inside. Uh-huh. Uh, but they were great. And they were the one that I'd have trouble. And my mom would make them early enough in December, we'd have them. And she would put them all in these tins around the house because she needed to store everything. She'd oh, make wow. so much for guests and everyone. And of course, someone would find them. Plus, she said, well, the extra ones I make are for the ones you guys think you're sneaking behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> now, are these just like classic sugar cookies? Or does she have a mom twist oh, to it. Oh, she dressed them up. No odd twist. I mean, for me, it really wasn't her cookies. It was the peanut butter, coconut balls, the snowballs, oh. they, we called them. They're the ones I absolutely love the most, and I had the biggest problem with. The only thing with those is if you ate too many, oh, you started to get the shakes from the sugar and the oh, peanut my. butter overdose. Oh, because oh, you don't even but, know how much is too much until no, you've had it. That's so no. true with some of this uh, these treats. Um, I don't have a favorite cookie, but I will say... What? My, I know, N- like as in this time of year, like a go-to cookie. Kind oh, are of thing. you like the any go-to? See, that's my all problem. Cookies. I like cookies yes. all around, but yeah, and especially if I get invited to some cookies. kind of bake-off, that I will make a cookie. Yes. But last year, this time, because it's more nostalgic for me. Last year, this time, my brother and I swapped the exact right. same kind of cookie. But the the rule was you don't follow a recipe. You could put chocolate chips. Um, and marshmallows and other kind of chocolate chunks in it. So it was like all chocolate and marshmallow, but no mm-hmm. following recipes. And then whatever you end up with, you end up with, you you trade. And it was awesome. Mine's was more of that crunchy. His was more of the chewy, uh, definitely yeah. different texture and sizes. And it was super fun. So I'm thumbs up on the marshmallows. Yeah. Absolutely oh, it candies at the top. It candies. Uh, like it's yeah, so I, I, nice. I go nuts for marshmallows. Anything mm-hmm. with a marshmallow in it. <gasps> oh, yeah. So good. Also, Anytime there's a lineup for Kelly and Romeo, we go ham for that too. So here's what's coming up on today's edition of the show. Nothing screams the holidays, as we just said, like curling up on the couch, watching a movie, and eating some delicious snacks. More than just cookies, we're going to be discussing with Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession. We speak with Zoe McQuinn to learn about the science gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Also, later on in Hour 2, we have the Roundtable Weekly on Thursdays. Jim Crisco, our content development specialist from Edmonton, is going to join us there. And Kelly has a few topics that he wants to flip through. 
All right, um, things going on in Quebec that we may be interested in, just because of how intriguing this news is. Quebec's blood supply agency says in less than two weeks, Health Canada is lifting a two-decade ban on blood donations in the province. That stemmed originally from the uh, mad cow disease fear. Hema Quebec's vice president says it's clear there's now virtually no risk of transmitting variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease through new blood transfusions. People who lived or traveled in the UK or France for long periods of time in the 80s and 90s haven't been allowed to donate blood in case they were exposed. Canadian Blood Services has also asked Health Canada to lift the ban in the rest of the country, and a decision is expected soon. The US and Australia lifted similar bans last year. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press. Now, it's really what's intriguing to me is that, you know, this was a two-decade-long ban, and yet we're hearing about it not just in Quebec but across the country and then the U.K. and the U.S. just lifting it last year. So I, I wonder, you know, for me, is am I just that ignorant of timelines for medical risk for any kind of risk, I guess, in this kind of scenario when you're talking blood donations and how secure you have to be to then say, all right, it's been X amount of time. We don't think we have this problem anymore or we, you know, are uh, very sure, sure enough that we don't have this problem anymore. And that took two decades plus. Yeah. That's why that's wild well, and I don't want to say this rum in the way it's going to probably sound, but it's an age thing. When this was big on the news, you were younger. It's sort of like me saying to you, oh, we had the same kind of... But even still, it's like, HIV. do we hear about it now? Have we heard no, about mad cow disease no, or the no, fear of it in the last 10 years? Well, right? we, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In places in the world, you do, but oh, not yeah, for necessarily sure. here. But in the sense right? of and, like... And we know it as when they other countries started to take our beef back. Yeah, And, and so yeah. recently, yeah, gosh, sorry, it won't come to my head, uh, which country, maybe... Uh, not Australia. Anyway, doesn't matter. But the point is, uh, one country recently said, hey, we're comfortable with taking cows from Canada. Mm. And this is, that went on for, that was well over 20 years as well. Yeah, and it's even more interesting to me that, like, while we're afraid of this and while we're, uh, you know, thinking of these impacts, a whole bunch of other stuff has happened, right? SARS yeah, came about, sure. COVID came come, about, come all other gone. kinds of, yes, exactly. <laughs> or seemingly come and gone. Ebola right. in this part Ebola, of the world, like the, yeah. we're worried about certain things. Yeah. And other issues health-wise, like the, the, the potato issue that we're going through in certain parts of, course, of Canada, of course. Um, where we say, hold on a sec, we can't distribute those in other countries. Yeah. said, no, put a stop, we don't want them. But when we're thinking of contamination, I guess, and how widely yes. spread something like this can be, not the disease itself, but the the actual blood and the, the fluids, um, yeah, there's a lot to think about. And so sure. uh, such interesting things to read up and, and keep updated on. After the break on Kelly and Ramia, we're talking about Audible's newest release, which is the second installment of the Sherlock's Holmes universe. Mike Fair is going to give us his thought on um, the production. It's called The Silent Order. We'll be right back. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Do you enjoy eating cheese, Kelly? You're a cheese love person? Cheese. Yeah, you oh, and I have yeah, split charcuterie cheese. boards on more than one occasion. That is true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, and sometimes wondered what the other people around us were going to eat. <laughs> Yeah, Sometimes wonder. That's right. Yeah, like uh, it was a public charcuterie board, and we ate it all. Um, 
I, I have this cheese slicer thing at home that was gifted to me, but I didn't use for a long time, and it cuts, it slices my cheese into very thin, adorable pieces, and I've been really oh, yeah. enjoying just as a texture, being like cheese and crackers with very, very thin cheese is a oh, jam. I love it. I, well, I love it. It doesn't have to be too too thin, but I certainly don't like a big old chunk. But for you like a hard cheese, right? Like a cheddar? Yes, for nice. sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And do, do you mind that soft cheese there sitting there? Like uh, sometimes people yeah. get like, ew. That's, uh, yeah, see, that's the thing. I didn't want to get into a deep cheese conversation because I, it's going to get controversial. I don't like the gooey cheese other than brie. Um, and smoked I don't. Cheese. Yeah, smoked cheese is good. I don't like the stinky cheeses. Anyways, before people start thinking I actually don't like cheese, let's get to audio entertainment with Mike Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. While we're having our cheese and our snacks, we can get into some audio entertainment. Audible fans, um, there is new stuff out there for you. So Audible's recently released, released the second installment of their own unique addition to the Sherlock Holmes universe. And Mike, you're going to give us your thoughts on the Silent Order, which is the production we're going to focus on today. What's different about this series of Sherlock Holmes stories, Mike? Uh, are are traditional, but they've given been given some twists. So we have uh, Moriarty is the hero, Professor James oh. Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes's arch nemesis. And oh, is this like an anti-hero situation? Pretty much. Okay. Like he is uh, sort of forced into the criminal underworld. He had some equations that were stolen, and uh. Uh, the series is his pursuit of these of that information, wow. trying to keep out of, it out of the wrong hands. And Sherlock will do anything to support what appears to be the British government. And uh, he has uh, resorted to all sorts of nefarious, uh, shady tactics to, to uh, do whatever it takes to get what uh, what is Grief. wanted. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's a really, if all the characters are giving these delightful twists, but they, but they make sense in a way. Like they're not, you never feel like, oh, this this doesn't really work at all. Like it's mm. it's done so skillfully. I mean, this uh, genre. Is, I, I like that because so many people, this is so chancy because there are those fans out there and say, what are you doing to Sherlock? What are you doing wow. to my favorite? Cool. Yeah, exactly. No, but this genre is <laughs> popping, though. Like, people love this kind of anti-hero stuff. I don't know if the super fans of Sherlock will, but it uh, definitely adds for a lot of layering. Yeah, well, but it's, it's, and it's the people you care. want. Exactly. And I think that's the key, Mike, because we know you still got to have those fans because who else is going to buy this stuff? It's one thing for sure. us to say, oh, that's cool. Are we going to run out and get it? Maybe not, but yeah. you've got to get that <laughs> super fan. How, what style is used to tell the story? So basically, this is done as if you're hearing a movie. So you hear the sound and the dialogue, like people react. There's no narration. You know, a lot of Sherlock Holmes have the, hmm. you know, Watson characters. Yes. And Sherlock and I went down to Reading Gate Station. Now, this, this is just... You hear it all happen, and uh, that's that's a really neat kind of take on it. It's all done with this amazing sound and the, the brilliant acting. It's it's just uh, you, really well uh, done. As a blind person who's been really listening to a lot of stuff and taking it in this way, 
you're used to kind of letting sound tell us so many different things, but you must be at that stage as we know audio has popped for so many people becoming something, whether it's podcasts or dramas like this, we keep venturing further and further into that area where, yes, you don't need the device of the narrator to idiot proof it for people. They can follow just by hearing, hey, that sounds like a subway train coming in there, an old train or exactly. a horse going by. Are you really liking this kind of style over your narrator with this, in this case particularly? It, well, in this case, I'm a bit torn because, of course, I'm used to Watson being there. Watson yes. isn't even in this in this particular oh. uh, series. Oh. It's this one. Really? Uh, it was in the previous one, but not not in this. So wow. that's that was different. Is there is there explanation for him, like offered in context? Uh oh. Oh, something just went wrong with my tech here. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there any offer of a you know suggestion or reasons why Watson isn't um, brought into the second uh, edition of this, or do we just not hear about that at all? Not really. He's mm -hmm. just not there. And uh, basically, uh, Sherlock and uh, the, the basic story is, uh, you know, uh, Sher uh, the professor is having to pursue, uh, trying to figure out what the, this mysterious order wants and is trying yeah. to accomplish. And he, uh, his bride, uh, who he thought was dead, he was framed for her murder, mm -hmm. uh, was not uh, dead, survived, and uh, basically is is seemingly involved with this order in murky uh, things, and she's in America. So something is definitely being worked on in America. He goes there to try and sort it all out and find uh, Irene Adler, uh, who's uh, basically one of Sherlock Holmes's nemesis, and, uh, you know, tries to, uh, to to straighten everything out. He just wants a quiet life with her. And uh, unfortunately, he's going to have to uh, basically team up with Sherlock Holmes to try and stop this nefarious order, uh, which is just called the Order, um, and uh, they're they're planning something really nefarious, which could lead to war. So uh, it's it's a really a neat neat story. They they have to you know two geniuses trying to you know coexist, but not but both seeking kind of advantage over the other. Like uh -huh. it's, it's a really neat uh, sort of journey in, into that. It would have been interesting if you had Watson here, because how do you make him kind of follow that path as, as a doctor? But I also wonder, <laughs> since this is post the fall into the falls, was there a time where we lost Watson in the series where, did he ever die in the series? No, no, he, and not, and not in right. this universe either. The one that, like, oh. he's, he's still there. He Around. is, I mean, you know, Sherlock Holmes has him under his thumb. It's not a friendship so much as a, uh, I will... Oh. Uh, you know, don't cross me, Watson, do what I need, or you will huh. suffer kind of thing. We won't have a bad doctor now. I yes. love the angles on this. Okay, how necessary yeah. is it, Mike? Um, we talked about superfans obviously picking up something like this, but how necessary is it for you to be familiar with the Sherlock Holmes stories? Basically, I would say you could follow it fine without that. Like, it would still be fun, but you would miss the end. There's a lot of references to various Sherlock Holmes adventures in the actual stories. Mm -hmm. And there's also... Uh, just little uh, uh, one-liners and things that people familiar with the characters will get a lot more enjoyment out of. Like it would still be funny, but if you didn't really, if you weren't familiar with Sherlock at all, you might not get all of the in jokes and things like yeah. that. So that's wow. the real difference. It's this is made for for the fans, but it, it is like it's approachable by anyone. Like if if okay. some uh, you know non-Sherlock fan sat through it, they could follow it. It wouldn't be hopeless, right? They wouldn't be bored out of their seats. <laughs> 
So is this an anti-hero universe in this sense of, has this been who Sherlock Holmes, with this, does he have a reason to turn the way that we are seeing him in this, as we do with morality, we get to learn a little bit more? Or would this have been, He's, from the beginning, the universe that they are in where he he is not a, a good person that way? He will do anything. He's basically... Right from the beginning, he's portrayed as as willing to do whatever it takes. Like he has a lot less scruples, right? And and that it increases uh, as the series goes on. So, uh, you know, he he comes off. He, he is, uh, you know, the the to the public, he is this this moral upstanding detective. But you see his underhandedness right from the start. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, Moriarty is is forced into the situation where. He has to, and he, he really feels it when he has to do things that go against his conscience. He really has a, a substantial wow. conscience to wrestle with. And he's got this partner, Sebastian Moran, uh, who is uh, the professor's partner in the regular Sherlock Holmes stories. He's an assassin from Scotland mm -hmm. and uh, just a, a you know salty criminal, knows the score, knows what's needed, very pragmatic, very calculating, uh, willing to do whatever he has to to help the professor and, and save him from his own sort of goodness in a way. So it's it's a very <laughs> interesting uh, partnership. It's it's a neat, neat twist on it all. How suitable is it for younger listeners? Uh, you know, teens would be fine with this. It is written for adults. It does address some pretty mature themes and subjects and morality, right, um, in that sense. So uh, but teens and older, I would say. I think any younger than that, and, and you might run into "I'm bored, let's do something else" kind of territory. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, now I start to wonder too, with a lot of these what we would consider classics, as how. Uh, people, you know, generationally how it's being received, right? Are people picking up things because it's still entertaining? Are people picking up different iterations of, or are they going to the classic books? It's kind of interesting to uh, follow that trajectory also. Um, Mike, how was the acting? Acting was really well done. Don Dominic Monaghan was Moriarty, did it brilliantly. Uh, Philip Lamar was our psychotic Sherlock Holmes. Uh, we have uh, Ross McCall as Colonel Sebastian Moran. So really good acting. Helen Murren uh, was a wonderful villainess, uh, Lady Augusta Mil Milverton. Really well performed. Uh, I was just thrilled with what she did with her character. So top-notch acting all the way through. Awesome. How about sound and music? I mean, you touched on the sound, so I feel thumbs up. Headset listening kind of quality? Yes, absolutely. This makes very good use of environmental panning and things. It sounded wonderful on our HomePod minis. And uh, yeah, it just drags you right in. It's it's a really good uh, sound setup. And the music is there. It's kind of like a movie quality. It, the music does take a background of the sound, but it kind of sets the mood wherever needed kind of thing. So very well handled. Keeping with the rapid fire reviews, how good was the pacing of the story? The pacing is pretty good. You got nine chapters. Each of them are between 25 and 40 minutes. We were never bored. Sarah and I were just riveted right the way through. We heard it over a two evening stretch. It's five hours and 13 minutes total. So uh, you've got, you know, that's uh, two basic evenings worth of entertainment there. Uh, it's very, very well put together and, and well paced. Okay. Uh, so is this really worth the credit for the Audible members or whomever? I would say yes. There's a chance it's still free in the Audible Plus catalog for people who are subscribers. Uh, but even if you have to pay the 13 bucks, 
that this would cost uh, or one Audible credit. It's easily worth that. This is really high quality, polished audio drama at its finest here. So uh, you're in really good hands for that five hours and a quarter. Mike, you are so uh, keen to check out any Thing that drops, you know, the, the newest stuff from Audible, the newest uh, stuff from Graphic Audio, all these different things, and you bring it to the table here. But is Sherlock Holmes one of the ones where it is of personal interest to you to be one of the first to hear and, and listen to these uh, releases? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love Sherlock Holmes. It's, it's He's always been my favorite. I don't like many detectives. I'm not a huge mystery person, but Sherlock Holmes has always drawn me in since childhood. And I remember hearing Ralph Richardson and, and uh, uh, John Gilgood uh, doing Holmes and Watson. John Gilgood was the best Sherlock Holmes. You know, be gone, you vile wretch. He was great, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, then Big Finish came up and did masterfully. And now, of course, Audible's waiting in. Mm. And, uh, of course, the big uh, collection I reviewed for you a, a few weeks back, the uh, Burt Cools adaptations were spectacular. So there's there's been a you – know, Sherlock hangs in there. You know, he is – Oh, he does. A, Yes. Of a, of a, well, it's, it's uh, the world know, of deduction. Piece. Yeah, and and that whole solving those puzzles, you want to beat Sherlock at, at his own game, and and it's it's I've never managed it. I was I've always gotten to the end of one of these and gone, oh, gee, I never saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's brilliant because it, it's all these adaptations of him, right? It's not just him anymore. It's the the interpretations have changed and melded into so many different variations, and I love hearing about it from uh, fans like you. Thanks, Mike. Absolute pleasure. Mike Fair joins us on Thursdays for audio entertainment highlights, and we sneak in tech as well weekly with him. And if you want to check out uh, what we just talked about, the latest Sherlock Holmes adaptation slash release, go to Audible. If you're a member, then you're a member. If you're not, then figure out how you're going to pay for it. All right. After the break, we have What in the World? This is where we flip through quirky stories from around the globe with producer Grant Hardy. We'll be back on Kelly and Ramia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. I guess it's because we're going to be deliberately talking snacks in the second hour with Mary Mammoliti that I just want to start off every segment uh, with a snack question. Are you a fan of olives, Kels? Oh, love olives. Yeah? You just eat olives? Oh, good heavens. Oh, just man. Just pick them up, pop them in your mouth, and enjoy it? Well, as long as you're careful, uh, you know, for the seed pit? or whatever you call it, with a yeah. pit, stone, yeah. pimento, whatever I, you've you got You can in get there. them de-pitted, right? Is that a word? Yep. Can't, can't you get it stuffed with stuff? Like, when, when you get yeah. olives stuffed with, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. Um, you sometimes <laughs> and different things mixed yeah, in Yeah, garlic goo. and whatever. I've Let's seen a whole bunch of goo. And, goo. You know. Then it's not, it doesn't also contain the pit, right? No. No, but you got to be careful. If you like olives, you got to just, especially, be, I'm sorry, not not to say all low vision or blind people probably are careless as I've made the mistake of being. Oh, olives, pop in the mouth, bite. Yeah, about this dent in my tooth dentist. Oh. I, I don't know. Oh, seriously? It, oh, I'll forget, oh, you know, no. and pick one up and not, you know, I got to remember, be careful. I only do that once. My goodness. Uh well, you hope only <laughs> once in life, but you get carried away. And when you love them and you make that mistake, oh, okay. boy. That's why you just don't eat olives. That's my Well, you know what thing. happens. As soon as you do it, you say, oh, what in the world? Oh, 
Uh, folks, speaking of that, let's bring on Grant Hardy. Do you want to know about the craziest stories news has to offer? Look no further than What in the World with myself, Grant Hardy, where I explore the most preposterous, comical, and mind-boggling stories from all across the globe. Get your notes out there, Rami, and start add this one. <clears throat> At this point, since it's a funny segment and Grant brings some of the stuff that makes you say, what in the world has he just explained? Let's welcome in Grant Hearty Har Har. What's going on, pal? I'm still chuckling at that. That was quite the segue, Kelly. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure how to. Uh, how to we make segues out of everything. It's part of the charm <laughs> of the show. It's part of one of the things I re remotely have talent for. I'm waiting for someone to start paying oh. me for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> the big dollars. Wow. Where do you want to start, Grant? We're starting actually with something not not broken teeth, but something a little bit medic medical. There's some. Um, there. I don't know if you guys have seen these communities like. Uh, not the onion, but that's where I got this from. So there's a there's oh. a uh, mock newspaper called the Onion, where they basically publish articles that are not true but look like they should be true. Uh -huh. And then there's there's a site that basically their premise is like this belongs in the Onion, but it's actually true. So that's where <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, that is what in the world for sure. It's what in the world. Uh, so that's where we're getting uh, this first one from. So essentially, uh, a little kid burned himself on the stove. And they sent, uh, somehow they got the, a pediatrician to look at the photo. And he's like, yeah, you should take your son to the hospital. So this was in the U.S. They took their hospital to the emergency room. A nurse, you know, really quickly looked at the toddler's vitals, looked at the, the wound, said, all right, you're, a doctor or surgeon is going to be here shortly to inspect your burn. But then the surgeon, the doctor, never showed up. They just sat Ooh. there, waited in the emergency room. Nobody showed up. Eventually, they decided to take their son home and just make a follow-up appointment with the doctor. The hospital hey. said, yeah, okay, fair enough. And as it turns out, that was unnecessary because the burn healed. What? Th then the bill came. So the hospital sent a bill for over $1,000, even though the doctor and surgeon never even showed up. The total bill was $1,012, and that's essentially for just... Uh, Waiting? Essentially, just literally, like, taking the patient's vitals. Oh, my. Um, so they always say this, like, if you ask for you know, a glass of juice at a hospital, it's going to be like 50 bucks, whatever. They kind of bill for everything they can. So apparently <laughs> you can get a bill for over $1,000, even if a doctor never even comes to see you. But th uh, this is not an error, Grant? Like they're <laughs> no, saying, no, this so, is fact. You are getting this bill. You need to pay it. In an email, the hospital said that the charges were, quote, appropriate based on the, based upon the, Acuity of condition, just sign monitoring, and <laughs> traumatic wound care, and numerous assessments. So traumatic wound care. It healed. He didn't even see the doctor. 
Who gave I these instructions? That whole bottom line that you never oh, saw the doctor no. because it was unnecessary. We dealt with it. The other staff did. You used up hospital services, including the chair you sat on. All right, chairs. Yeah, because you had your so, parents. There you go. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the funny thing is that um, you know I think not to stereotype, but like sometimes it's easy to talk crap about like other countries and how they do things. And I know sometimes in the States they do do this, but this person was like, yeah, I was warned. I'm from another country. I was warned, do not go to the emergency room in the States unless you really, really have to. Uh, and he, he found out that uh, that was good advice. I mean, oh, but it's a kid. God. Like we were talking, was it yesterday <laughs> we were talking about this, Kels, where, um, yeah, like it was with you, Grant. The you yourself, it's one thing, right? You're like, okay, no, I'm not going to pay my thousand yeah, dollar bill. Like you but said, it's, it's your kid, kid yeah. and it's a yep. burn. And people like burns are scary to begin with, uh, mm. even when you don't go to the doctors, like the hospital. But an unbelievable amount to have to pay, and they, that, the fact that they justify it—that's what's. Yep tripping me but we have been getting scared to death about taking anyone to the hospital in the u.s we're all warned don't do that and i think i'm sorry i don't mean to pick on our american friends especially on thanksgiving Why not? but the point is anywhere you go and they come over here we're gonna charge them to the hill i wonder yeah, if that doctor, i mean that's the recommended true. to take the child i wonder if they got a cut too no that's finders that's absolutely true that in canada we probably have like the equivalent bills and stuff too we just don't ever see them because it ends up going to the government hey good times hey, you know grant this is interesting because didn't we do a forgive my language a quiz words <laughs> uh did we do a quiz where we did this kind of thing with these items where you tested us to see is yes this yes we did a news item? quiz mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i will go on record saying I like those. Anyway, moving oh, on for the next time. Did you we really? Have a I thought I open. missed the mark oh. on that. Oh, I oh I that one was great. You one. thought I loved it. We'll take fun wherever we can with Kelly. Course, so yeah, bring yeah, back course, the news uh, quiz. All right, there you I did go. Well on that one, so yeah. <laughs> I think he said something along the lines of liking the music quizzes, also, Grant. So just saying. Oh, yeah, okay. especially the one he's, prior he's leaning to into uh, 2010. He's leading into it. <laughs> when I actually knew music better. I like it. I What's like the next it. one? Um, a mining and property tycoon. All he was trying to do was uh, build thousands of new homes, about 3,000 new dwellings, uh, and he lost a three-year uh, legal battle with the Gold Coast City Council to do so, which is very sad. I guess maybe one reason he may have lost that legal <laughs> battle is because he was planning to build the homes next to a sewage treatment plant. Oh, uh, he, he uh, purchased a 75 hectares of land right next to the sewage plant to the point where some um, <laughs> homes would be about 300 meters away from the sewage plant. Oh, uh, the, uh, the site falls within <laughs> a flood plain uh, oh. and uh, originally apparently was used as a wedding venue. I feel like what? those marriages were discounted cursed. wedding venue. Yes, <laughs> say your vows. Make sure you're quick because oh. this is you don't have to say them close like this. Close pegs, close pegs for yeah, favors. Exactly. Yeah. In in her decision, I do. Ju <laughs> the judge said that residents would not be able to enjoy their new homes and neighborhood because of the smell from the sewage treatment plant, uh, which, as mentioned, was less than a kilometer away she said quote the proposal would sub subject residents to adverse odors uh and 
not have them enjoy a, a high level of amenity and the proposal places a constraint as well on the sewage treatment plant so what what a bizarre um what a bizarre story too even though i kind of fumbled that one a little i can't bit. believe he dedicated three years of legal battles to this he's he's basically a philanthropist he's just trying yeah. to build homes that people can <laughs> he's gambling right <laughs> and saying well if i can get these built cheaply and people only stay in them so long i can overhaul them every so yeah. often because the it's smell about the drives them out. <laughs> Exactly. It's a high turnover of people, and I can keep jacking up the rent prices. No problem. Oh, my God. Can you imagine giving people directions to this? Like, yeah, when you start smelling it, you'll know you're here. Just sniff. Just sniff. You'll find us. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's a the good landmark. The, and that's okay. right. He should call the complex, the building complex, Blood Bloodhound Pills or something like that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's oh, a good... Not man. a fan. No. Thank it's you. It's a landmark. Uh, what else, sir? Curious, curious, have you guys ever heard of New Westminster? Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a okay. Just curious. It's a city uh, in the it's lower mainland. <laughs> I know. I'm scared. <laughs> it's grand skill testing. If you're what ever coming back to it? BC, <laughs> do you ever hear of New West Westminster? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no worries. It's a city in the uh, lower uh, mainland near Vancouver, and they've been trying to put themselves on the world tourist map, uh, and it turns out that they made their mark. So there was a uh, quote-unquote loser on The Price is Right who blew oh. his chance to win an all-expenses-paid trip to New Westminster uh, by overestimating the price of what the trip would be. Uh, they called it, quote, an amazing trip to beautiful Canada. Uh, and it turns out that this, this ended up going viral uh, it went viral on the internet because people were sort of debating whether like New Westminster was sort of an authentic Canadian vacation. Uh, so <laughs> apparently um, the uh, essentially people in New Westminster and the tourism agency stepped up. They got in touch with this person and they're actually offering him an all expenses paid trip to the city anyway. Oh so goodness. even though... He uh, lost on the prices, right? Um, he's going to get that authentic vacation anyway because he went viral. And apparently, they're hoping that this is going to kind of put New Westminster on the map. Yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like it does on Jeopardy, right? When anyone mentions somewhere in Canada or some kind of thing, it's like, oh, wow, they knew of that place. Yay, Sudbury, yay. But um, Grant, was it he had to guess the price or, or what was it? Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. I wonder what he one, said. <laughs> uh, let's see if I can find that. Well, all here. up north in Canada, this must be a lot. I mean, after all, it's practically the Arctic Circle that's New Westminster, isn't it? So I would suggest, hey, Grant, isn't the Gold Coast out there too? Or that area they refer to as the Gold Coast? I think, this, I think that's out in BC. This one might have been a different Or the uh, other one. Place. One in England? That might have been Australia has one. I they call it different places. Gold I don't know Coast, if we're going to run out of time for the segment before we find these things. I, I think we're going to run out of time. Oh, I see it. Uh, he actually overestimated the trip by $5,280. Oh. <laughs> okay. So he, he, I think he thinks that Canada is basically in outer space. Yeah. Because <laughs> he I don't... overestimated it. My goodness. Yeah. Are you serious? By 5000 we should have just given it. Yeah. We 
We should have. Yeah. We did give him the trip, but we should have given him the answer as well. Like, yeah. Yes. We and then give him the bill. Really yeah, give him a receipt. Yeah, give him a receipt. Trip, say, we want to make sure you, you know, can pass these 30 trivia questions about Canada before you come. That's right. Which gold coast are we talking? Test. Do you oh, know no. of it? And here's your receipt that says uh, $900. So well, there's your overestimate. I mean, we Thanks, live large. Yeah. We do. Even even if it's just to make it look better. Honestly, hey, man, look how much it costs to go there. You should meet him where he's place. like, yes, that's, that's the correct answer. This is how we live. <laughs> Grant Hardy brings us What in the World every two weeks here on Kelly and Rumya. <laughs> what should have been on The Onion. I love that. After the break, we have uh, The Buzz with Bill Shackleton, second one of the week. And we're talking about the season of giving thanks. It turns out humans have been doing it for a long, long time. We'll find out more after the break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumya on AMI-tv. Next themed uh, snack question for Kelly and Ramia. Do you have a Aren't you gonna make preferred... it about a drink? No, not yet. Come on. Uh, do you have a preferred dip for chips and dip or crackers and dip or onion. insert whatever garlic, and dip? Onion, garlic, anything like that. Onion garlic and chives, and onion garlic. Mm, uh, like a mayo-based or like a... No, 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 no. I don't like that. It's too vinegary. That's too much vinegar. More of a yogurt or cream itself. Okay, like a cream base. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like that. I love that. I like like chai, chai uh, onion and chives. Oh, it's one of my favorites. That is delicious. Especially now, if you have the bits. About... Oh yeah. No, it's true. Um, how about like a bean dip? Yeah, nay. <laughs> too close to oh, chili. No, I don't mind bean dip. No, I don't mind that. Depending on. But okay, you hear that, people? Like, like you'll have like, a bean dip, but not it, chili. Mm -hmm. It really depends on what kind of. Uh, chips you're mixing with any of these, of course. Okay, yeah, fair. Like most I just want it to be ripple chips or kettle chips, but mm. not too much of any one particular. Well, you do kind bread, it's like oh, like a pita oh, or gosh, bread. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I. And that I would probably be more inclined for your bean dip there that you're mm. talking or about. Or pretzels. Oh my god! Now I just want yep. snacks. Yep. Why don't we have snacks yeah. on the table that I could uh, use as for demo purposes while we're talking about it's these the things? It's the only time you're singular. The rest of the time you're dragging me down with you, <laughs> except for when it comes to food. Why is it here for me? Wait, wait, wait. We didn't even mention guacamole or uh, hummus. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. no. Guac guacamole and hummus are great. Oh, good, Guacamole, good. Yes. wonderful yes. with your chicken wings, with your especially nice spicy chicken wing. Oh. Yeah. No, I'm a fan of Chipotle's yeah. guac, by the way. It's decent for just don't grab think and I've go. Had it. Mm, that's good. I don't think I've had it. I just like any guacamole. Yeah, I love fair, any. fair. Okay, Bill Shackleton. Uh, I don't know if you've been snacking, Bill, but you're here for the buzz. I hope so. Because if he's been <laughs> drinking, we don't want him. We want him he sober as a judge. He said after the show. Uh, Come on. Jack, remember that term? Sober as a judge? Rum, put that in your book, too. Thanks. That's me. That's me right yeah. now. <laughs> I know. I believe you, Billy. Billy, where do you want to start? We're going to do this one. Um, giving thanks apparently isn't just a holiday tradition. Turns out we've been doing it for a long, long time. So I mean, I hope so, but tell us yeah, how. Yeah, well, scientists looking at it um, say it plays a key plays a key role in our human survival, how we interact with others. Um, the what they call it the help exchange, which is an interesting hmm. concept. Is that yeah. when you do a, when you do a deed for somebody, it doesn't mean they have to pay you back. Nobody's keeping score, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, even with humans, with with apes, um, you know, one ape would defend one in a fight, 
but then the other one that was hurt wouldn't necessarily um, feel that they had to defend the other ape. You know, that's right. I mean? He might even Just turn kind of, right on him. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for helping me out and slopping yeah. up, slap him upside the head. Okay. <laughs> It's another interesting thing about this is it it gets into our genes. It comes even to in today, it helps us so, with social binding, and even kids as two as as young as two and three uh, feel a sense they like doing favors. Apparently, we do. Yeah, you know, giving. Well, I think we favors. like the response, right? If you're yeah, somebody, says, so. oh, that's nice. Oh, I like all that. As they said, that nice warming stuff. That means I can get away with spilling this on the floor now with all this grape juice. <laughs> Whatever it might be, right? Like I think we underestimate the observer's reaction to the good deed, and that makes people feel good. And it's not always direct either. There's the pay it forward aspect, no, right. right? When you're oh, grateful yeah. for something somebody did to you, with for you, sorry, uh, without the the necessary feeling of having to pay them back, there's still that, I guess, you know, I don't know what the scientific word for cozy and warm feeling, where you want yeah, to pay it forward yeah. to somebody else, right? That, that I you think th is part of it. You feel thankful, even, I mean, it sounds silly, but if someone thanks me for following them, not me, on, on X, let's just say, mm -hmm. but they come out four days, ten days later and say, all right, thank you to new followers. You know, somehow I, you're welcome. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah, they're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to me when they might be talking yeah. to 800. Receiving seven, the gratitude. You know, yeah. Yeah, you, you feel it's extended to you, so you, oh, gee, thank you. They're personally thanking you, not necessarily it's the, the, the people who have recently followed or anything like that, but they're at least acknowledging, which no matter what makes you feel good. Mm. The same with get, if you donate to a certain cause, and all our donators this year, yeah, I was one of them. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Well, it humbles you too, right? Gratitude yeah, humbles us for sure. Much. And there's a lot more now on mental health um, and awareness around, you know, the way that we handle, the way that we self-regulate. So if you're spiraling or if you're having a terrible time with your emotions one day, because we're all having bad days, one of the things that I'm hearing a lot more about is you cannot be angry or sad if you're also grateful. Like, so if you're coming from a genuine place of thanks, and this is not my words, okay, so, you know, disagreements or um, your own like perspectives on it is yours. But what I'm hearing is that if you're actually moving to a mental place where you're grateful, where you're thankful, where you're practicing uh, counting your blessings, your, you know, everything that you could be grateful for, it actually moves you out of that emotional space of being angry or sad, both of those two emotions. So that's something that's interesting to kind of focus on, like using gratitude as an escape from other emotional challenges. Well, the other thing that's interesting that the article pointed out is that we wouldn't have much of a, we wouldn't exist if it wasn't without gratitude. For gratitude. Mm. And yeah, with, how, how would we exist would be just cave, whatever you want to call that, cavemen, and, and it would be, we would be complete savages, right? Yeah. If we didn't, um, you know, have days dedicated for gratitude yeah. or, but you know, different traditions as we do with like many cultures have some recognition of gratitude throughout the year. Like it's actually part of your practice, religious practices, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome, Bill. Well, nice focus. What else? Well, how about this one? Um, not just for kids, toy makers are focusing attention on the, on the, on older adults. Mm. Um, kind of interesting. Um, 
So toys, things like Trivia Pursuit, um, and is going to get is is getting a facelift. Uh, so Hasbro has teamed up with Aegis Innovations, um, to make these things. What's it in Trivia Pursuit and Scrabble, and they are incorporating it so the it, it, with bigger fonts and bigger tiles, so that younger and and older people can play together. So, um. It's it's a different. I guess it's a different combinations of of spelling that you can use, where an older person can get involved with the child playing, um, and I guess you know, when it comes to trivia pursuit, I guess there are questions dedicated to not just the the, the younger person but the older people that are like sixty five. Um, a way of allaying loneliness and connecting with with other members of the family. Um, and I just thought of a, a question to put to you guys. When you play with a toy with your kid, are you playing with it because you want to, or can you actually relate to the toy? You know what I mean? Are you doing it uh, to have fun with your child? You know mm. what I mean? Like, That's an interesting thing to comment on because there's so many, like, toys that are meant for particular purposes, right? Like you're teaching your kids letters or you're teaching them how to walk or you're teaching them fine motor skills or just, you know, concentration skills. So it's not necessarily the same as, for example, a board game. Board games or card games or these things, you can actually, I think it would connect adults with kids or adults with seniors more. That's why you hear a lot of these kind of connections being this way. But toys, mm. I don't know. It, it feels it, it feels uh, different than puzzles. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, I find it's it's what would be really interesting is the connection that playing with a ch your child um, that you have with it, and they influence because of your own enjoyment with it with the child or the child's influence back on you because you enjoy so much watching the child enjoy it. Um, I think there's a level of that with it, but I think we're all kids at heart and enjoy messing around with toys. Um, the other th interesting thing is well, educate. I yeah, I don't uh, I don't know the toys <laughs> that I had. I had racing cars and things like this. So I I didn't do board games. Um, no, I don't. Do I, them very I was well. like that too, Billy. I I was like that too. I was puzzles a bit for sure. I'd try even though it was pretty hard being low enough vision that I just couldn't see. Yeah. It. Um, board games would I just was not a big fan of, but building stuff, cars, everything like that. Yeah, for that's, sure. Yeah, for sure. Like yourself. Um, I couldn't see the you know when you do these board games, you're supposed to be able to visualize the board, and it's like I just can't do it. Oh yeah. If you if you make a move, I can't visualize you making a move. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting when you start putting disability into context as well, because yeah. then yeah. then there's a lot more to consider with these connections. Well, and it's hard because it's a different era, right? Billy and I, there wasn't accessible stuff like that. Of there course, were yeah. Made, toys made for, for kids with disabilities, uh, low vision or blind, whatever. There were certain, but a lot of that was just make them bigger. Yeah, I know, <laughs> so I know. As, as if you had a motor skill, which some for some things it worked, but other yeah. things it wasn't getting you into some of the other games that everyone else was playing. So I think sometimes that's the, the leaving people behind thing on like now you, you can incorporate sighted and blind into mm -hmm. a lot of the games. Exactly. But our perspectives, and especially for so many years, are skewed based yes. on, right? Uh, yeah. Billy, is it true you have some article about cheese? 
God forbid, don't touch that French cheese. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is kind of this is an interesting one. And there's been an update, but yesterday there was um one of the one of the pieces of legislation at the European Parliament was that um the, the French, you know, they like their Canterbury cheese in wooden boxes. And basically, no, no, you can't touch our cheese. What is because the wood the wooden boxes give it the smell and the mm -hmm. texture. Oh, mm -hmm. well, oh, okay, you'll actually compromise it. Okay. And well, they they want to uh, to eliminate the, the the European Union, of course, wants to eliminate the wooden boxes because it take they take so long to biodegrade. Yeah. And the French said French said no 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 you cannot touch our cheese. That's right. the kind of cheese where. You stick it behind radiators and it smells when it heats up. I mean, everybody Ew. that that cheese is awful. They're saying it gets Snowing. sweaty and flabby. Yeah, yeah, Who yeah, wants yeah. to describe like cheese in this way? Flabby, sweaty. Okay, oh, I've heard gross. that, even though it's not my favorite description. But the reality is, it's sucking up the inside taste, yeah. like the taste. What goes into it is that box taste, right? Yeah, and I and the so. scent of it. Um, but. Isn't there another way? I mean, first of all, we're talking about wood and what are we going to get into discussion about trying to use up less wood or whatever? The biodegradable is definitely the issue. Isn't there a way of breaking it down safely without, you know, necessarily having to wait that time that they're worried about? And I don't know what to suggest. What, a chemical? What, burning it? No, obviously that's going to add pollutions and, and toxics into the environment. I don't know. Um, I, I understand both sides of this argument because it is a business. It is something people love. But, Billy, I also think about, and we've joked about the Tim Hortons cut out the smoking thing and how it changed the taste of the donuts and cakes and so on. So you have to wonder how long would it take for people to adapt to a change in that cheese and how you're you're storing I, it. I don't um, know. I think if you, I think if you are... wouldn't want it to taste like plastic, that's for sure. Mm, yeah, that's well, the flabby cheese. Yeah, that's no. flabby plastic. Can't put you can't put it in the plastic. That's what they said. Yeah. Uh, but I guess if you are a French diehard, you are not going to put up with anything other than regardless of, of, of what people God. say. And yeah. This well, is why fancy um, cheese gets so much hate because, you yeah. know, it starts feeling like um, the people behind it are just being snooty. It's the same thing yeah. when we're tasting and, and start acting. But honestly, there is something to say about compromising product. And if it, it, it's a process. Dairy is a process, so we'll just have to take their word for it. <laughs> so well, the, I'm so interested update, to see what happens. Yeah, what's the update? The Hurry. update was that and it didn't pass. tradition. Yeah. Oh, it didn't pass. No, it so didn't. No, don't no. mess with tradition, man. Don't oh, okay. mess with tradition. Okay, I'm so telling it didn't you. Pass. No, so the plastic is not right. going to be introduced. No, it's not. All right, good. No, apparently not cheese yet. Cheese wins. The cheese wins. Cheese Billy. wins. Cheese wins. Yeah. We'll chat with you tomorrow. All right. Bye. Enjoy the game. Happy football games. Yep. <laughs> Bill Shackleton joins us for the Buzz with Bill. That's how we wrap up the first hour on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. On the second hour, we have, or during the second hour, we have our roundtable today with content development specialist in Edmonton, Jim Crisco. Also, we're speaking with Zoe McQuinn to find out about the science gallery at the Manitoba Museum, uh, Science Museum. Uh, but up next, we're talking snacks, snacks, and more snacks around the holidays with Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession. We will be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
Kicking off the second hour of Kelly and Romeo. We've been keeping posted on the sidelines uh, with the goalball games going on in Chile for the Para Pan Am games. Brock Richardson, tried and true, keeping us posted on uh, scores. Now, that's all I can say because we don't know how the games yeah, are going to we'll, end up. We'll but good luck. Yeah, we'll get you some scores shortly, right? Yeah. Good luck, Canada. You got this. On Thursdays, to start off the second hour, we get cooking with Mary Mammoliti of Kitchen Confession. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mammoliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Mary, we've warmed up the audience so well coming into your segment because every break, uh, or coming out of every break, I've asked a question about snacks preferences this that and the other we've already discussed cheese more than once olives okay. um i'm laughing because i chimed in when i heard the cheese comments <laughs> yeah. do you have any snooty cheese comments? no kidding do you have any regular cheese comments <laughs> none no comments okay, on right. the cheese on the french cheese we don't want to make the situation worse than it already was and uh <laughs> we also talked about uh chips and dips so anyways not sure if any of these are going to come up come up with you, but you're you telling talk us about flabby or sweaty cheese. Ew, no, no, thanks. That's when I tuned in. I heard flabby, <laughs> sweaty and Mary cheese. Like, what right are we out. talking about? <laughs> no, let's not do that. Um, but you're telling us to cue the snowfall and wrap ourselves in cozy blankets because we're getting ready for the holidays. And you're here with a list of some festive snacks for us. Yeah, I am. It's officially Hallmark movie watching season. Mm. Now, I don't think everyone's as excited as I am, but if you are, welcome to the group. Um, my, <laughs> It's my favorite season, right? So as you settle in for that day of Hallmark movie watching, you know, when you're binging one movie after the other, we know how they end, but that's okay. We're still going to watch it. We know the formula. Right? Yeah, We know oh, yeah. it. We know it, but you're going to need a snack. Right, snacks are always great. Well, so I multiple since movies. you know the ending. Well, you got something to keep you away. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just <laughs> right, munch all the way through. Right. <laughs> so I've used say. these movies, yeah, as some inspiration for the list of holiday awesome. snacks that I'm sharing today. Okay, um, that's I'm, awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of it uh, as we usually do with you on food talks. So, <laughs> like. Are we going to start with the warm cocoa? Because that seems to be the iconic thing in Hallmark movie scenes. Absolutely. I mean, there's someone always sipping on like a little cup of chocolate, something in a Hallmark yeah. movie. There's always that hot cocoa somewhere around. Yeah, God forbid, um, or else you wouldn't know it's winter in the, exactly. in the movies. Especially in these, they're all in California. <laughs> oh, snap. And they're all bundled up. Um, so I want to think about, I thought about this, and I said, let's make a decadent homemade hot chocolate. Right, so this recipe, it'll actually, it'll make people think that you fussed over it. But honestly, it's so simple, but it's delicious. Right, so into, I'm gonna give you a quick recipe for this. Into a medium-sized pot, I want you to add half a cup of sugar, quarter cup of unsweetened cocoa powder, a dash of salt. When I say dash of salt, honestly, just a little pinch, a little something there, just to cut into that sweetness. A third cup of hot water, four cups of whole milk. You can use 2%, whatever you'd like, but I like something a little heavier, a little more substance when it comes to hot chocolate and then three quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract. Stir this up, warm it through. You don't wanna get it too hot because you don't wanna burn the roof of your mouth while you're, dripping it, while you're right. drinking it. Warm this through, pour it into some mugs, top it with some marshmallows, some whipped cream, 
put a cinnamon stick on the side, make it a little fancy. They can yes. use it as a stir stick, right? And then this recipe, it makes about four cups. That's I, beautiful. Um, I've never really followed recipes with hot cocoa, Mary. It's just, you know, is this chocolatey enough? Keep going. Is this thick enough? Oh, maybe a little too thick. Like now I'm just having a warm pudding of some sort. So I appreciate the recipe. A and syrup. A syrup <laughs> yeah. almost like is what it reminds me of. And Mary, what timing? Uh, London here, they've got the holiday train going through. Folks, make this up and take it with you. She just told you how to make four. So if two of you are going out, all right, if one of you is yeah. going out, make this, use this recipe because you need enough to keep you warm right there beside the tracks. Um, I, I, I kind of like that too, as it gets sweet, it's just the way to go, right? And we were talking about marshmallows yeah. earlier, so it's got to be with everything. Mayor, when I think of those holiday movies you're talking about, I feel like there's always some sort of gingerbread being baked and made up in some capacity, decorated yeah. in front of us. What snack options come to mind there? Well, you would think that I would automatically go to a gingerbread house, gingerbread yes. little cookies. No, I'm going gingerbread oh. popcorn. Oh, right? so, yes. Right? Yeah. So between like the rich molasses and sweet ginger, it puts a holiday spin on like freshly popped bowl of popcorn. So you got a little holiday bit with every single bite. So the way to make this simple again you want to heat your oven to 350, divide your popcorn between two ungreased regular pans. And the reason why I say that is because you don't want to overcrowd everything. You don't want it on top of each other, maybe like an even layer. Mm. Heat some butter, molasses, ginger, cinnamon, some salt over medium-high heat. Give that a stir. Now, you want to stir it and heat it through until the butter is melted. My little tip when I melt butter, I use a, a spatula, a silicone spatula, for this and because I don't want anything sticking to my wooden spoon. True. And then I keep on stirring when I no longer feel anything kind of bump into my spatula, which is usually the butter. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've melted it through. So pour over the popcorn, add one to two cups of almonds or pecans, mix it all up oh until they're completely coated. Right? Just mix it all up, spread it out again, and then bake it uncovered in the oven for 10 minutes. I want you to stir it though after five. So go in after five minutes, stir it. That would be halfway through another five minutes, so total 10 minutes in the oven, cool for 10 minutes. So it's 10, 10, and then oh, you're you got to let things cool. Okay, uh, yes. Mary, I'm nervous about 10 minutes. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> Is that not a long time to leave popcorn well, in the oven? <laughs> <laughs> because it's got all that coating on it. Mm. I was just so going to say, protecting our little bitty got to get through it. And what yeah. did we heat it's, the it's oven got to? All that coating. We heated it to, going back, 350. Okay, all right, all right. 350. Yep. I want to yep. make sure I had the right time. Do not broil right temperature. the popcorn. Okay. Do not broil. I do have a question, though, for both of you, because I'm always curious when it comes to stirring something and talking about butter. Is there anything or a little tip that you do when you're stirring butter or trying to melt it down that lets you know that it's melted? For me, it's that spatula when I feel something that's not yeah. raining into it any longer. Yes. It's essentially it what you said. Yes. And then yep. you can start to hear things like, uh, I don't know if you're... It's, it's the crackle. Yeah. Or, you know, yes. if it's too much. and yep. smell the smell as well. Like that's if you're how I starting to tell that the, the butter is yeah. changing uh, state. Um, but essentially, it's what you said. If I'm not throwing it in the microwave, then it's... Yes. Is there pieces of it um, floating yep. around still? And, yeah, yeah. and that's and you how you tell. Do this and in you the move that around well. anyway. Yeah, and you move yeah. it around, and like you say, Mayor, but let's be honest. I mean, we're think I think we're we're fooling everyone. Uh, just a tiny bit of the finger, and just whoa, oh, don't do you know, that. That helps yeah. me know too. Don't do that. Don't don't. <laughs> 
Don't use that as a tip, don't though. Don't listen to Kelly with the finger. Don't tell no, anybody but, you do but, that. But you two be honest right. and admit you're that right. that's what you do. I played yeah. the fifth. <laughs> okay. Um, it it's also I'm how gonna, I check my boiling just water. Use, just okay. don't use the Braille reading finger, right? Oh, you two don't do that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, so do you have a favorite snack to match the sweet and spicy vibes, maybe the romance of the Hallmark movies? Yes, you're right. Okay, so every Hallmark movie, you are right, has a little bit of sweet, definitely a little bit of spice, that little romance aspect to it. So let's make some candied spice nuts. Yeah. So, right? Like these, <laughs> This is the perfect snack. So these nuts, they're super easy, a few basic ingredients. They take about 15 minutes to make, and we're using only one pan. That's it. Uh, use unsalted nuts for this recipe, because if not, you are going to get an overwhelm of, of salt. So just use unsalted nuts, preheat your oven again. 350 seems to be the magic number to heat our oven for these recipes. Um, so do that, 350 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Line a rimmed baking sheet with parchment paper, add a cup of pecans, cup of walnuts, uh, one and a half tablespoons of oil, olive oil, uh, two tablespoons of coconut palm sugar, one teaspoon ground cinnamon, a pinch of cayenne, there's your spice, Yes. and then a pinch of ground nutmeg, quarter teaspoon of sea salt, and one tablespoon of maple syrup. I want you to mix this all up, mm, bake it man. for about 12 to 15 minutes, again, tossing halfway through. So it's always that halfway mark. And that's also when we check, right, if we're comfortable as to how much we've baked. I like to taste it sometimes halfway through um, and let me kind of figure out if I want to continue baking or how long I want to continue baking it. Um, then remove from the oven, immediately drizzle a tablespoon of maple syrup over top, and you're going to enjoy that. So if you don't want it as sticky, instead of doing the one tablespoon at the end, you can add the two tablespoons of maple syrup before you start baking everything, and then just omit the tablespoon at the end. But I like the little extra sweetness at the end. I don't even think mine would go into the oven. Like, it's, it's the, all this, I love sweet and spicy so much, Mary. Like, if this yeah. is mostly just so dry I. with a bit of that, yeah, sticky from the maple syrup, I'm just going to eat it exactly. out of the pot that I'm using. Um any special holiday traditions that you've mastered over the years that you can quickly tell us about? Yes. Okay. So growing up, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I need to talk about it because I absolutely love them. We'd always roast chestnuts during the holidays, mm. right? And I couldn't quite master the perfect roast until Frank and I, we decided to experiment. And then we finally got a recipe that works like magic every time. So for the roasted chestnuts, score the chestnuts with an X on the rounded side of the chestnut. So this can get a little tricky. Um, if you're not comfortable with a knife scoring it, purchase a kitchen tool. It's, 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 um, a chestnut score or chestnut cutter, I think it's called, and it's got no knives. So all you have to do, it looks like a nutcracker place your, it's got two discs at the top, place your chestnut right between the two round discs, press down and it'll actually, uh, it'll, uh, pierce the chestnut for you and it'll score the chestnuts. So you don't have to use the knife, place them in a pot. Fill that with cold water just until they're covering the chestnuts. Place it on the oven, on the stovetop, or bring it to a boil. Once it boils, turn it off. Remove it from the heat, strain them, and then place them on a rimmed baking sheet. Sprinkle generously with coarse salt. Bake at 425 degrees Fahrenheit for about 25 minutes. And then halfway through, again, there's that halfway mark. You want to give the pan a shake. It is so good. And they come out delicious every single time. Mm. I've actually never eaten chestnuts, like, properly. Roasted? Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, we're going to have to have a chestnut party. But can we? It's crazy, though. <laughs> when you have them, you just can't get enough of them. Any nuts like I that. I keep right? hearing oh, that, and it's such a oh. staple around this time. But um, 
In nice. Italy, they have street vendors that roast them up on the street and you yes. can purchase them. Yeah. That sounds gorgeous. Also, They're when you so buy good. them, like sometimes if you have no idea what you're supposed to do with them, it can be kind of confusing. Like, how are you supposed to deal with chestnuts? But anyways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And they are pricey. Mm-hmm. So they if are. you're going to test it out and you're not 100% sure that you're going to like them, just get a handful of them to start. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you'll like awesome. them. Thanks, Mary. Especially the, ra- especially the raisins Thank on you. them. Mary didn't tell you about. Okay. Bye. Happy snacking. Thank you. Thank you. Always happy happy movie watching. Enjoy your repeat movies over and over. You know, AI would do really well at creating Hallmark scripts. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Oh, gosh, they probably already are. Another fantastic use for AI and chat GPT. After the break, we are going to learn a little. Uh, We're speaking with Zoe McQuinn to learn about the Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Find out exactly what they're up to this time of year on Kelly and Ramia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya. We're here with you daily. Well, at least on the weekdays. I'm going to leave you alone on Saturday and Sunday. That would just be way too much of us. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Amadin, we're the hosts of the show. And like I said, two hours Every weekday, you can catch us here on AMI-TV or AMI-audio, so somewhere across the network at some point. Also, you can go to your favorite podcast platform and find us there. Kelly? So, Brock Richardson keeping us up to date on what's going on in goalball. So, spoiler alert, in case you have some way of... I guess you don't. I don't think they Mm -hmm. store this stuff up on Gem right now. It's just streamed up there. Uh, The ladies in goalball... Going for bronze today, uh, have one beat Brazil four to two is what we have for you right now. And uh, congratulations to them. The guys game coming up shortly. So we'll see. I think we'll be off the air before that score comes in the final because I believe that there's a 3.30 game uh, starting shortly. So congratulations yeah, to the ladies it with for the today's victory. Good on awesome. You guys. We are yeah. doing really well out there. It's time for our monthly Science Center feature on the program where we virtually visit museums and science centers across this beautiful country of ours. Today, we're headed to Manitoba to learn all about the Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. And to do that, we're going to chat with Zoe McQuinn, who is the Director of Learning and Engagement at the Manitoba Museum. Zoe, thank you for coming to Kelly and Rummy today for a little bit of time to do some sharing with us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So, Zoe... What can be found at the Manitoba Museum and particularly in the Science Gallery? Well, um, we're really lucky. We have three venues here at the museum, our main galleries, our planetarium, and of course our science galleries. Um, In the science galleries, there are different ways to explore and learn about science. Um, It's aimed at multi-generational learning and it's very interactive. We try to engage the children's minds, uh, their physical bodies, and also uh, their hearts, because, of course, everyone has a love for the Science Gallery here Mm. in Manitoba. And can you tell us a little bit about your role? role, Sorry. Can you tell us a bit more about your role and what you do, uh, where your particular interests lie? 
Um, well, I think the most important part um, for learning and myself is about play. Um, play gives us the ability to engage um, children in learning in a way that allows them to learn at their own pace, to guide the learning. Um, and we have staff throughout this areas as well to help facilitating learned experiences. Um, you can see in some of the images here, it's a lot of family generational learning. So together they're learning about basic, basic science concepts like gravity, about um, environmental impacts of human activity in the Win Lake Winnipeg area. Um, you can go into the matrix. There's a lot of different ways you can play and learn at the same time. And those kind of memorable experiences really reinforced children's passion for engaging in science. So Zoe, with it being family too, when you're when mom and dad are there maybe, or older sibling or younger sibling, do you find as a group it's, in a family way, a little bit of a different experience for people learning and, and taking these in. Is there anything you guys do differently? I mean, I know you have school groups and stuff like that come in too, but it, it's fun. It must be fun to kind of figure out how can we make this so engaging so mom and dad aren't just kind of walking along. Yeah, let's move on to the next thing. You know, How do you guys do that when you're thinking of putting an installation together? Well, you know, uh, I think most people engage. Um, for example, when we're talking about uh, sound um, or if we're talking about image, we've created sort of the matrix room, which is basically a room you can walk in and see the different effects of light and uh, using mirrors. Or we can do a sound and you have to talk to each other across the gallery on how you focus that sound. Ah. And so it's usually based on making sure that it's more than one person, you know, it, it, even if it's not the... Um, you came with that you're engaging with it actually gives children and adults the ability to bridge across and so when we're talking about multi-generational kids playing with kids kids playing with the adults that brought them this kind of idea of engaging in the activity and to fully immerse themselves they have to fully participate so it's sort of inviting them to nice. participate That's so fantastic. oh my gosh yeah we so were having inclusive a, that way i know and we were having a conversation about this angle of learning or you know through play uh, just a bit earlier on the show too, Zoe. So it's really interesting that you point that out. Uh, can you talk about more especially sensory opportunities and experiences that you offer? Uh, yeah, of course. There are a lot of different ways museums can engage um, people. Obviously, um, the main ways are through sight, through touch, um, and through sound. But we also work a lot on trying to engage the other senses, which of course is smells and um, taste. Those are a little harder. Museums have to have certain certain rules around uh, food and smells and stuff. Right. Right. Um, but for touch, for example, when we talk about meteorites, you can talk about what they're composed of, but many people have never touched one. So you have to let them get as close as possible. And that means touching, holding, feeling the different sort of weight that's involved in the density of a meteorite versus maybe the stones they have in their own homes. And it's about that actual physical connection that allows people to understand it in a meaningful and real way. Wow. It's great because as blind people, we've always, you know, kind of that experience as a kid. I remember going to, don't touch, you can't touch. No, sorry, there's nothing that you could touch here. It's all too. But now there's so much of sensory included in museum tours now of any of any kind for the most part. I mean, I know there's some places you can't. They just look at a picture and there's, what are you going to get touching it or whatever? I, I don't mean that. But there's so many meaningful opportunities now for people and I, I love that change Zoe and I guess when you guys are putting something together once again I have to say how much of that time and thought goes into that that hey 
kids will want to pick this up and find out the weight, what it feels like. Or people, are, I know it's not just, hey, we're going to have some blind customers coming here one day. It's so much about this seems to be discovery of this keeps people, kids, adults all engaged even more. Yeah. And I think that it's something that we as an organization and museums and science centers across the world are trying to understand better is there's not one way to learn. There's many ways to learn. There's not one experience, but it depends on, you know, know, the time, what people want and trying to meet them where they are rather than make them come to us or learn the way we want them to learn or engage the way we want to engage. And learning is such a three-dimensional experience and we often just, you know, don't even acknowledge that, right? Like, you know, reading something versus hearing something versus visually seeing something or being able to tactilely, like physically engage with it with your limbs i mean all of that together is what i would assume is the ideal scenario because it just feels more like a three-dimensional um experience and retention is probably so much better if you can engage in all those ways at the same time yeah it is it totally is true and especially when we're thinking about maybe a new learning outcome like talking about climate change i mean it's great we can lecture about how the impacts of climate change but how do you teach people about it in a way that is beyond reading beyond lecturing but Mm. about this is the realities this is a visual representation and then reading forcing it so that they can actually practice it and learn the things that they can do in a meaningful and really way so one of the activities we actually designed was a trash sorting activity because a lot of us think well we know what we're doing when it comes to our um, waste management Uh but so many people you know let's put everything in the bin it belongs to and how many did you get right how many did you get wrong and it's a physical memory then of which bins things go into so that's fabulous yeah yeah and that's such a great way that we learn without feeling like this is what we're supposed to do do it right so we i think we better get some people out to visit So can we talk a little bit about some of the current exhibits and shows that you want to kind of flag going on at the museum? Oh, well, we're busy every day. Um, We're open uh, six days a week. Um, We're closed on Mondays. We're open from 10 to 4, um, and everyone is always welcome. Uh, Our website is um, updated every day with some of the planetarium shows um, that we offer. We usually offer two to five different planetarium shows, so offerings, uh, you know, are daily. Check them out. Um, But also, our main galleries are open for everyone, and we also have a couple special um, exhibits on right now to celebrate some of the things that are important to us, including uh, Made with Love, um, If These Walls Could Talk, and of course, our new um, Mennonite clocks exhibit, which is beautiful, oh, and then we hope wow, everybody can nice. come and explore. Tell yeah, us more about something that. Going on. And Tell us more about case... all three, if you don't mind. Yeah. Like, oh, I, it's, it's, just, just before you move on, that's really <laughs> cool. Just touch on them. I'm really curious about uh, the walls talking. Okay, so um, the Made with Love is about the traditions uh, of communities, uh, the Métis community, and uh, artistically making beautiful artifact, uh, beautiful um, uh, pieces for their family. 
families, um, for moccasins, moccasins, for example, and the love that goes into the beautiful designs that are passed on from generation to generation. Um, our other um, exhibit, um, If These Walls Could Talk, is a partnership we made with the Rainbow Resource Center, um, and it's for us supporting um, the 2S LGBTQ plus communities um, and talking about the history of activism and the Rainbow Resource Center here in Winnipeg. So it's a really amazing exhibit. And then our finally just opened is the Mennonite Clocks exhibit. And it's about the traditions of the Mennonite community moving from what would be considered a Russian Ukraine area um, to Canada over the last century and a half and sort of what you bring with you, why you bring those pieces with you and sort of the story that one piece that is so important in that home uh, can tell beyond just it's a pretty piece, but the history of how it got here, the reasons why it was important to the people who brought it with them and sort of the story of the family themselves. So it's really wonderful exhibits. Wow. It's what and timely, so timely. It's really yeah. coming across as such intentional movements, intentional storytelling um, and perspectives that are being brought forth directly from these communities. And so appreciate you telling us that, Zoe. I'm very curious about uh, the location of the Manitoba Museum, um, where you guys are placed and what the significance is to you um, around where it is compared to, you know, other museums and other cities or other parts of Canada, like, is there something you want to say to that? Well, we're really lucky. We're downtown in um, Winnipeg. Um, at the heart of any city is its downtown core. A lot of museums in Canada are located downtown, which usually gives us a lot of sort of different transit options to get people here. It's about trying to be centrally located, but also located on pathways that are easy for people for us to find. Um, like many downtown areas, um, there's ups and downs in a, 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 a sort of as part of COVID and sort of, you know, the forced stay home and people returning to the space. So what's really exciting I found about downtown, especially here in Winnipeg, is sort of this revival that's happening. So many new businesses are popping up and so many people in the community are sort of taking ownership of the spaces and trying to create this kind of excitement about being downtown. So you can get downtown easily and also um, we're here to welcome you because there's a huge vibrant community downtown. Awesome. Zoe, very quickly, did you have something else you wanted to tell us that we kind of, maybe we got so excited about the other stuff that's on right now? Yeah, I really wanted to tell uh, access is everything here at the museum and we're working really hard and we're always open to feedback and um, any supports that the community wants to give us on those kind of topics. Um, but for coming and visiting, um, if um, there are any accessibility issues, especially around finance, um, every first Friday of every month, we are um, open um, from four until nine and it's free access. So everyone is welcome. All of our galleries, including the Science Gallery, are open for exploration. Exploration. And we hope that if you can come anytime, come. But if you need to come on Fridays uh, for our first Fridays at once a month at the beginning of the month, we hope we see you here. Okay. And where do we uh, go to get more information? Uh, you can go to manitobamuseum.ca. It's our new website. And uh, we hope you find everything you need very easily on this new, hopefully very accessible design. Awesome. Zoe, thank you for making time to come on. We'll get you back on the show again down the road and find out more. Thank you so much. Good luck and the best of the season. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. That was Zoe McQuinn.
uh, telling us all about the Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Incredible place. After the break, we have our weekly roundtable staple weekly conversation. It's mixed with a few things that Kelly McDonald has pulled out for us to chat about. Jim Crisco is our guest today, so we'll hang out with him after the break. We are hyped, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but all the way until Monday. We're super hyped for this primetime taping of Kelly and Ramia. Uh, that's why we're not going to be here live on Monday with you all. You'll be hearing some repeats and other content, but we will be having an exciting time. And eventually, if you're not with us in the live audience, because those doors are closed now, uh, you will get to experience the timeline time, primetime special when it airs at a future date. But Kels, there's so much going on in the background. The energy is exciting. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. The people, as we were teasing Craig David about, who will be there. We're also planning to get some interviews with crowd that are going to be there and bring that to you before the special runs on AMI-TV later on uh, in December is the target. Um, it's something kind of new for us to, to get a chance to do, but we are very humbled by the response of those who are coming out. For those who are interested, we know some people got put on the, uh, a waiting list or had to be turned back at the door. Um, maybe if we have the privilege of things go the way we hope they will, we know they will. Uh, when we do this again, those folks will get a chance to be a part of it. But uh, you will be a, a part of what we do when it airs finally, folks. On to other things. Oh, hold on a second. Hang on. I may have to make a change in this roundtable because our next guest, from my understanding, isn't going to show up Monday either. I was hoping he would accompany Beth and come on all the way out from Edmonton. Let's uh, bring on the roundtable, folks. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Content development specialist Jim Crisco, the oil man, joins us from Edmonton for this edition of the Roundtables. He's a regular on it. He joins Rummy and I as we get discussing the different subjects that uh, we have. And I pull a few things to discuss and we settle on back and enjoy some conversation and opinion from these guys as we do this every Thursday and have since uh, the program was conceived. Jimmy, thanks for being with us. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. I just, I love being on and uh, thank you for inviting me. I, you know what? Um, Monday is going to be really exciting for you guys. I wish I was there, uh, but I'm excited yeah, to see. Yeah, we what wish the, you were the there too. What happened? Like. Well, you know, they 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 didn't invite Say me. Say our agreements. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I love this. They didn't invite me in a place with enough seats where AMI staff, as long as they don't try to get any of the prizes. Are you sure uh, you made it clear? You made it clear, and you were vocal about wanting to be here, or? That you had time? Well, you didn't even suggest Melville have a meeting just to justify it? <laughs> you didn't say something about being like Beth's guide coming to Toronto or anything like that? All all very Security. good ideas, but I, I really wow. am excited to see the finished product. Okay. So, oh, yeah. oh, he doesn't want to ruin it. Very diplomatic of you. He Got doesn't want to ruin it watching us fumble around <laughs> and make a mess of things and the crowd say, what the heck did we waste an afternoon for? Oh, is that it, Jimmy? Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jim. <laughs> uh, I want to start with a bit of football, Jim. Today is Turkey Day down in the United States. Of course, best of the Thanksgiving to our listeners and viewers that are, are over, over there checking things out and enjoying their day. Hopefully some of you are listening along with the program on AMI-audio when you have time. Former New Orleans Saints tight end Boo Williams needs surgery, medicine, and doctors to make his pain subside. But, Jim, he can't afford any of it. 
Boo Williams, who is 44, was recently awarded $5,000 a month by the NFL's Disability Benefit Plan. But Williams tells the AP the plan and the league have repeatedly mishandled his claims and should really have been paid $500,000 or more over the past 14 years. I know I have to have surgery on my neck. I know I have to have surgery on my back. Um, I knew this years ago while I was playing. Over the past 30 years, the league has added millions of dollars to the plan for retired players with injuries they suffered while playing football or that emerged after their careers were over. But plaintiff's lawyers say the system is rigged against retirees. They point to a high rate of claim denials and say doctors assigned to examine players are paid by the NFL plan. I'm Norman Hall. So I always think about this, Ramya, in the context, before I get to you know, let Jim weigh in on this, uh, the context that we in sports see these people, these professionals, retire anywhere from 28 years old if they've had a mediocre career or whatever, or uh, God forbid, injuries in any of the major sports I'm talking, uh, to up to maybe 40, 42 if they're lucky, maybe a bit further. Um, but generally, that's not what happens. And unfortunately, a lot of people say, well, my knees can't take anymore, my mm. back. That's where they're getting the big bucks. Now, I'll jump back to you for a sec, Jim, as we get into this, because I also note that you could just retire and not be good with money. Um, Jim, on this particular to a topic, you and I have heard about this, especially when we talked, they talked a lot about the head injuries and later on fatalities from people who were getting those hits to the head, who were having what felt like, you know, a, a car crash. They were in several, multiple times a football game. Yeah, you know what, for the for the players, especially from that era, because there wasn't the, the concussion protocols that they have now. Uh, they weren't as aware of post-concussion syndrome. So there's injuries like that, but many others, that possibly weren't treated well or weren't identified early enough then. But it also is coupled with the fact that back in you know that era they may not have been paid like superstars either they were you know the the the, the big money in sports has started not that long ago i mean maybe 20 years ago but not not in, uh, incredibly long ago where they get paid a lot of money to be able to to retire early take care of themselves if there's health issues back in the day Maybe they didn't have that opportunity. They played longer than perhaps they should have. So it's kind of surprising when a league, especially a league that uh, that clearly you know is is a successful league like the NFL, the richest league in the world, exactly, that they're not stepping up a bit more and and taking care of of you know the players that sacrificed many years ago. So it's 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 odd to me. The story's odd. Yeah, I mean, mostly you'd think it would be hush money so people aren't rocking the negative boat. But, I mean, back in the day you're talking about, Jim, per, you know, concussion protocol was, how many fingers do I have up? Uh, two, one, you're half right, get back on the field. So <laughs> that's what nobody worried about. Um, Ramya, one of the other things that I've noted for through sports, particularly hockey, a lot of people get into it at 15. They start playing. They know they're going to end up on a, on a junior A team that's going to pilot them into the NHL, maybe even at the age of 18 years old, like Wayne Gretzky did. Um, but one of the things that gets missing, obviously, is high school education. Mm. And one of the key components is how to handle your money. And we talk on this show about this with Ryan and so many people. God, yeah. And the disadvantage, because everybody stops when they're hearing a story like Boo Williams, 
Well, the guy made money, but he still should have had enough money any more than anybody else. Jim working oh, in Edmonton, seriously. being the oil man, he should have enough money to be able to pay for some of this himself. And that, but not necessarily so if you don't know how to manage your money. It's just our ignorant general way of looking at things, right? Like, how could you blow off all your money and you had 12 years of a career and you make X millions of dollars and oh, look at that, they've signed your contract again. I mean, but really, all of this stuff is not the only part of the picture. As you said, people are young. Um, people are also, you know, this kind of path is not as straight cut as we think it is. And right. uh, like, you know, you're sacrificing a lot as, as a professional athlete or entertainment or entertainer or anything for that ex um, matter. Um, when you're into in these kind of industries you're sacrificing a lot from a very young age and that includes you know typical parenting or typical schooling education as you said uh, and then your body like your wear and tear is most of the time unfathomable now obviously everyone's trying to reach for the ideal situation which is how long can i do this right how long can i really be in this career as long as my body will let me i guess but nobody thinks about or we don't often think about or are managed to think about these other things. Um, so when things come to a full stop, oftentimes people are not prepared. No. And I think on the closing thought on this, guys, um, Jim, we're going to see less understanding because we see and hear how much money these people make, just like actors, like you know, musicians and so on, um, you know, that are gifted, what they do. We sometimes have less understanding. How can they not have money? How can they be in this position, which takes away some of our empathy? Absolutely. And uh, you know what? I, I saw a breakdown uh, a few, uh, about a year ago, about the money that NHL players actually take home from their, uh, for, uh, on their contracts. And there is a large portion that goes to taxes, to support staff, to, you know, managers, agents, that type of thing. Um, they, they, they don't take home all their money either. So it's, no. you know, they, they probably aren't, not to say they don't make a lot of money, but they probably don't make as much as we think. Yeah, and medical is so expensive. Jim, let's, I'm curious of the temperature on an incident that happened over in Calgary and a misunderstanding and something that I think, Ramya, you coming from a Toronto vantage point may see, may wonder about how often, especially since we'll hear about a story and it disappears so quickly, we may not even know the resolution. Um, Calgary's police chief is apologizing to two brothers and their family after he says they were wrongly charged in a deadly shooting that happened last week. A 14-year-old boy had been charged with one count of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder, while his 18-year-old brother was charged with being an accessory after the fact. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld says a community member came forward with a video that provided contradictory evidence. He says officers immediately notified the Crown Prosecution Service, which stayed the charges. He says he will arrange for an independent review to look into the arrest and the charges. The brothers were charged after a November 13th shooting in a Calgary Mall parking lot that left a 23-year-old man dead and two others injured. Lisa Laporte, the Canadian Press. Fedora's off to that person for coming forward with the video. Jim, what's the temperature of, of the situation there? I mean, Calgary, we know, has, we hear at this end, a little bit about the gangs and so on. It, it You know what, it's, it's, uh, 
I don't want to say it's a powder keg. It's not, but it is volatile. It, there is uh, a certain, as as you you put it, a certain temperature there. Um, there's frustration from people of all communities there because of some of the violence and some of the violence is creeping into, uh, you know, it's uh, gang gang related violence. If it's gang on gang, it can sometimes I wouldn't say go under the radar, but it doesn't impact public areas typically. But it seems like it's going in that direction now in some cities, including Edmonton, where these incidents are happening in malls, in parking lots, mm. uh, where where innocent bystanders are around. Now, it doesn't help when the police, you know, potentially get something wrong like this. That that can really alienate uh, a, a lot of people. So it's it's tough. It's tough, I think, to be a, a you know a police officer these days, and it's tough to to be a citizen at times. Yeah. I was glad to see the police move on this. Now, Ramya, uh, being in school, things like that, the community out there, uh, any thoughts, any feelings as in Toronto, where I think a lot of people think gets the most attention about these kinds of things, negative or positive? Mm, yeah, it's very unfortunate to say, but you hear so much of it now, right, in so many scenarios and also such, like, high, br brutally, like, I don't even know how to say it, but like high brutality scenarios, right? Like we're talking murders, we're talking one death, two injured. Like these aren't just, uh, you know, everyday news stories. But unfortunately, because we hear about them so often, you feel very desensitized. Like it's like scrolling through uh, headlines in a lot of these cases, unless of course it hits you in a different space, like it's your neighborhood or it's your, uh, you know, you mentioning that Kelly, like it's your neighborhood, it's your school, it's your age group, it's your uh, minority, like um, your uh, people. So that kind of thing is what would grab your attention. But other than that, even hearing, you know, are is the uh, alleged um, accused uh, innocent or guilty or what's going on with the actual process in court during the trials, there's still not much that will make us turn our heads, which is really sad to mm -hmm. say. Well, and I think there's a lot, as Jim was saying, too, about these things moving into parking lots. If it doesn't, if it's a neighborhood, you think, oh, it's just up for the people in that neighborhood to worry about it, not me. Oh, yeah, we're uh, so dismissive. Electric vehicle sales are expected in uh, 2023 to reach the 1 million mark in the United States. According to the research firm Atlas Public Policy, EV sales are expected to hit a record 9% of all passenger vehicles in the U.S. this year. That's between 1.3 and 1.4 million cars. But the U.S. is still lagging in EV sales behind China, Germany, and Norway. EV sales reached 33% of sales in China, 35% in Germany, and 90% in Norway for the first six months of 2023. That's according to Bloomberg NEF. EV outlook, which includes battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid EVs in their figures. In those countries, there are ambitious government zero emissions targets, vehicle tax incentives, and subsidies. I'm Donna Water. Do you guys care about this at this point, Ramya? Yeah, I think so, especially when you do the comparison of how many other um, nations or you know places have picked up compared to us, that's kind of strange, no? I mean, we are oftentimes pat ourselves on the back for how uh, quickly we can get things done, how much information, how much talent, how much skill, how much time and money we're dedicating into projects like this. Jim? I agree. I I think what's happening with EVs 
right now hybrid uh, is an option, I believe, up here. Um, but for true for pure EVs, we still have Canadian winters. We have vast distances to drive. There's some things that need to be overcome, and they're they're working that direction. So I think that that's what's probably sort of dampening some of the sales and some of the um, the movement on on EVs here. Those will be worked out eventually, and then we'll be able to you know increase the number. Um, but I could see. I'd I'd like to know specifically what the hybrids are are at because I'm sure that that that's going up. It gives you the opportunity, right? The option of of being uh, EV in the city and let's say hybrid on 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 longer trips. Uh, and wow. plus, you know, if you're in the cold, you could have uh, you could have the hybrid working. I like it. I like what's going on that way. I like it because I think it tells us that sales are happening. People are interested in Canada, particular. We only once we troubleshoot the problems tend to be a reactive place. So if we're seeing our neighbors to the south, we're seeing in the European Union, other places dealing with it, getting it. We're going to move. Jimmy, thank you so much for being with us on the roundtable. We're sorry we're not seeing you Monday, but we will see you in December. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for having me and uh, knock them dead on Monday. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Jim. Appreciate it. Jim Crisco, a content development specialist out of our Edmonton office, joining us today on the roundtable. We're going to take a break, come back and quickly wrap the show with you. Of course, we like to close it in some fun ways. Uh, plus, we have the teaser for the tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown. Can't believe we're almost at Friday already. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Here we are. It's Kelly and Ramia, and we love that you stick around for the whole show or part of it. And if you missed the other part, you can always go to your favorite podcast platform and search for us there, Kelly and Ramia. Uh, we always remind you that we are available in full show pod or we segment out the content for you as well. Just individual segments that you can like and revisit and share with your people. Kelly, we want to tell people what's coming up on the Friday morning edition of Now with Dave Brown. That's, of course, our morning show on AMI-tv, and they're here Monday to Friday as well. What do they got planned? Well, before we jump into that rum, I just want to mention mm. for those, once we're done the show, you might want to go to CBC Gem, watch Canada-U.S. basketball, I'm sorry, gold ball being played. I'm getting all my sports, thinking of football, everything today. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they're playing Five nothing at the moment, U.S., almost end of the first half. And we once again congratulate the Canadian girls for being able uh, to win their game today, uh, collecting uh, uh, bronze uh, with a 4-2 victory. So some of that still on. It is uh, during our live show. So if you're yep. listening to one of the repeats, it's already the score. And it just scored, by the way. So they're All on right. the board now. Nice. By three. Nice, guys. Coming up on Now with Dave Brown, starting at 9 a.m. in the morning, the Friday news panel gathers with Joey DeGutha from The Pulse and journalist Michelle McQuig. Join Alex, who's filling in on the program, who's uh, filling in for Dave, and they're going to be discussing some of the big, big news items of the week. Their thoughts on how the media covered the Rainbow Bridge explosion. Laura Bain will also be on the program with her entertainment report. And it was announced that the long-running CBS series Blue Bloods will come to an end next fall. Greg David will be there to discuss that program and how it is one of the last dramas on uh, on its own, not connected to any franchise. Ramya? 
Thank you. Um, we, I found this as part of the weird and fun facts that uh, I go to, like different, different websites with weird, fun, quirky facts. And I brought this one. It's near the end of the list for the current thing that I'm using. So anyways, kind of an interesting thing about the Eiffel Tower. It was originally intended for Barcelona. Any guesses as to why they said no? Uh, well, I can think of a lot of, of different things. I'm not sure Barcelona would just, just, it would just not fit whatever. And again, it's hard to say way back then, their skyline. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it <laughs> didn't. necessarily sure, but the feel of it, maybe, maybe wrong. Too hot it, it to was, be climbing it. It was too French. No, uh, political reasons. No, what was what it was was that they thought it was too ugly. The city thought it was too ugly. So then Gustave Eiffel the creator, the architect, um, had to pitch it to Paris instead. And French critics weren't too thrilled either. But now, who's complaining? Because it's one of the most famous landmarks in the world today. And I always wonder about things like this, Kells, for hindsight. How many? Right? Yes. How many places now wish, geez, we wish we had uh, put that Empire State Building here. Yeah, you or do that freaking CN wish. Tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, Why was it put there? Especially in the sense of, like, when you're the one with the idea who has to go around pitching it, right? Like, listen, I have this yep. brilliant idea. I have this amazing thought. You have no idea how big it's going to be. We can say the same thing about art, right? Books and music. You don't know when it's going to be the chart topper or when it's going to be that, uh, you know, billion hits. But yep. if you were the publisher or the editor or part of that team who could have greenlit light it and didn't, ooh, that's well, tough and to back then, you're traveling from place to place to place, offering this up over, you know, maybe three or four years, being told, well, we'll talk about it, come on back, we'll let you know, waiting for messages yeah. before you move on to the next place in case somebody, you get a messages from two places saying, we want it. And also, you've already pictured where you think it should go. I know. And if it doesn't fit there, you're like, uh, uh, I'm back to the drawing board. Yep. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's really interesting to think about it now and be like, huh, oh, well. <laughs> but times were different. You're right. Maybe something is a, a, a statement as, well, no, it's too ugly for our city was justifiable at one point. Nowadays, yeah. I don't know, man. Everything's art. Okay. And to each their own on their opinion of it. I'm yeah. sure there's plenty of people, Some uh, people, still people think out the there supporting that. It is ugly, real ugly. Still, yeah. On tomorrow's show, when you join us back for the Friday edition of Kelly and Ramia, we're talking para Pan Am Games with uh, Brock Richardson because they are at their final stretch. And curious about catnip? Gardener Susan Kearney highlights the plant and all its juicy mysteries. We'll as be back. To sweaty and flabby. Ew, gross. We will Ew. be back tomorrow, same time, same place, and on your podcast. It's Kelly and Ramia. Hi, it's Irene Solomon, the director of the Kelly and Ramya show. I don't know about you guys, but I seem to have accumulated a lot of stuff. I love a good bargain, and so I frequent consignment and secondhand stores a lot. I love the thrill of the hunt. I can tell people what an amazing deal I got on certain items, whether I actually needed them or not. I have found unusual items, brand new items that are still in their packaging. The question is, is it a bargain if you don't really need it? Not spending a lot or getting a deal is not really a good reason to purchase something if it's just a want. 
For me, the telling sign that perhaps I need to rethink my shopping habits is when I found that I already had a similar item to my most recent purchase. During COVID, no one really did much shopping except for online. I did not spend a lot of money and I found that I didn't really need much. It showed me just how much the want part of the equation outweighs the need part. I am planning in January as my New Year's resolution to really only purchase those things that I need. Wish me luck. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Guys, 